We are live on Real Presence Live, and we're coming to you uh, from our Fargo studios. Steve Splonskowski here along with... Brandon Clark. And uh, we are heading into our one of our signature uh, series here of Straight Talk. And uh, this hour, we have Monsignor Gregory Schlesselman with us. Good morning, Monsignor. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Say that again. Good morning. How are you? There we go. <laughs> Easier to hear you when your mic is turned on. So, and if you want to call in this hour to get your question answered, it's 877-795-0122. You can also join us on Facebook um, and send in your questions that way. So 877-795-0122. This hour is a straight talk, and this is your opportunity to ask those difficult questions because Monsignor is very intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's humble, too, yes. right? So yes. so so he just didn't say anything because he wants me to move on. But uh, so call in eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. I know personally that uh, I mean if you have questions about prayer, uh, questions about the spiritual life, uh, Ignatian contemplation, the value of silence, uh, some topics that Monsignor loves to talk about. So either you pick the topic, folks, at eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two, or Brandon and I will. <laughs> so give us your call here on Straight Talk. 877-795-0122 is that call-in number. And uh, Monsignor, I, I think what we could just open up here with is uh, it's the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi. It's a, a very important day in the life of the church. Can you just tell us a little bit about uh, St. Francis and uh, what we can learn from, from the way he lived his life? Yeah, St. Francis lived in the uh, in the early part of the 13th century, and uh, he was he was kind of a raucous young man who uh, living the the good life of the age, you know, as it was uh, involved in um, you might what might might say the the party life as well as involved in a mili- military expeditions. Found himself in a prison and um, gradually made his way back and had had a series of experiences that led him to recognize that God was calling him to, in a sense, be a spiritual troubadour instead of uh, just simply wasting his life and his talents um, in a meaningless way. And he responded very generously um, against the opposition of his father. Uh, he famously gave up all that his father was willing to to uh, bequeath to him, mm-hmm. uh, his textile industry or his textile business, and uh, and Saint Francis heard the 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 appeal of Christ on a cross in a local church to build up his church, and so he took that literally and began the process of of living poverty in a radical way. Uh, so as to not so just simply to to experience the suffering of you know deprivation, but rather to really uh, rely absolutely and exclusively upon God's providence, and he attracted thousands to his way of life, and founded the Franciscan Order as we know it today, and um, <clears throat> also had a tremendous Im- impact on the imagination of the medieval people. Uh, they their imaginations, I think, in some respects, are better tuned than ours. Uh, but they had uh, to hear a living image of Jesus Christ, you know, 13 centuries after Christ had walked the earth. And he, he literally occasioned holiness in so many other people mm. simply by the visible witness of his life. Uh, irrespective of what he said, uh, irrespective, he wrote very little. Um, but he truly, he truly gave to the church in that era and, and, and ever since. Uh, 
a clear, unmistakable, credible witness of mm. what it means to be totally infused with the life of Christ. Um, towards the end of his life, he received the stigmata. He um, received a, a, a deep, you might say, conforming to the passion of Christ and, uh, and died um, giving himself utterly and completely over to, to God. Wow. Well, if we get a chance to continue this conversation, I know that both Steve and I probably have some some questions about what you've just said, but we do have our first caller this morning. And before I get to her, we just want to give out the phone number one more time, 877-795-0122, 877-795-0122. You can also submit your question on Facebook. We have our call screeners checking there as well. So our first caller this morning, Monsignor, is Judy from Fargo. Good morning, Judy. Good morning. And what is your question for Monsignor? Monsignor, I was confirmed in the Catholic Church, and my um, one of my parents had asked me to choose a relative as my sponsor, and then also, consequently, I chose that name as my saint. You know, and um, that person has never lived a, a life in with the church and stuff and so and i've never felt a very strong feeling for the saint name that i chose so how would i go about changing my confirmation name well that's could i have a sponsor that would be somebody who is deceased who is very close to that lived a very close religious life well well so so you were you were confirmed uh in in the catholic church correct Okay, and that did that. So that did that happen? Like when you were a young person, uh, uh, a child. Okay, all right. Well, you know, the confirmation is a sacrament we can only receive once, so there could be no no possibility of receiving the sacrament again. Um, you you can certainly adopt any saint and any saint name as your patron, and you know, with a special devotion to that particular saint. There's nothing that would prevent a person from doing that. You know. You could use that if you wanted. You know, there's no legal requirement about using your confirmation name in any church document. Uh, so for, you know, the various reasons we might use that, it's the, it's the baptismal name that, that counts. So um, in that regard, you, you'd have a, a lot of freedom uh, to do so, uh, to just simply adopt a different saint and, and use them as your patron. Thank you, Father. That makes me feel a lot better. Okay, great. All right, Judy. God bless you. Judy, thanks so much for that. Thanks for that question. And you can ask your question by calling 877-795-0122. You can submit your question on Facebook. You can send us an email. You can smoke signal it. Pat, our call screener, is very talented. With smoke signals? (laughs) That's the first time I've heard that. Maybe not. Okay. I might be uh, embellishing just a okay, little bit. Okay, well, we'll, we gotta, we'll look up. out the window. I hope it's a, if I see smoke, though, I'm going to be concerned. Okay, let's stick with the phone number, 877-795-0122. I guess a good idea. Uh, so, you know, Monsignor Brandon was right. I actually want to return to what you're talking about, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, whose feast day is today. I think it's a interesting part of his story where he hears from the Lord, you know, uh, rebuild my church. So then he physically, literally, goes and rebuilds the church on San Damiano, right? Um, Let's talk a little bit about how the Lord gives us these messages and tells us to do something, and so we as humans, we translate them, (laughs) we interpret them for ourselves as some sort of a literal response. But he actually has something else deeper in mind uh, more often. 
Yes, and and certainly in the case of St. Francis, that, that, that became evident. What he was really talking about was the building up, and he using that phrase from St. Paul, the building of the edifying of the church. And that's building, and the, what is the church? Well, the church is the mystical body of Christ. It's not the... Uh, the buildings per se, but the community of the faithful who have been baptized, incorporated into Christ, and who around their head, Christ, uh, with all the angels and saints, uh, that is that is the, the truest reality of the church. And so when Christ was telling Francis to build up his church, of course, that's what he meant. And that's what he did, in fact, in his life, by his witness, by uh, living his religious life, ultimately by giving himself to the evangelization of his era, which he did marvelously, um, to really living a holy life and inspiring others to live holiness as well. And so he did, in fact, correspond, you know, if you look at the totality of his life. But you're right, we oftentimes, um, the Lord will give us uh, instructions, and sometimes either we interpret it literally, you know, because it seems obvious and right in front of us, or we might interpret it according to what we you know, the way we want to receive it. You know, St. Thomas says that we receive things, things are received according to the mode of the receiver. In other words, however disposed I might be or open I might be is going to be the, is going to fashion what I hear from God irrespective of the fact of what he actually said and what he actually meant. But that's simply the reality of human life. And so we shouldn't need, we have no need to worry about that. But what we do need to be attentive to is to be always asking for the grace to receive him as he wants to be received. Like, for example, as we go up to communion, that's a great time. You know, Jesus, help me to receive you as you want to be received. I don't know what exactly that might mean on a particular day. I don't know what he wants to communicate to me. What I'm doing thereby is giving him total freedom and access to my heart and to my life without restriction. And really, that's what love is. Mm. And I think it really, St. Francis really did that in his life. He, he was, had that kind of radical openness. And I think that's one of the, the, the great things that we can strive to imitate from St. Francis and ask him to pray for us to obtain that grace, to be able to do the same. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a... I believe it was St. Thomas Aquinas that was just reading this, that he said he learned more in prayer in front of the Blessed Sacrament than through any great book that he ever read, any of the books that he ever read. Um, so there's, a, I mean, do we as Catholics believe in infused wisdom, infused knowledge? Oh, yes, absolutely, we do. I mean, the Holy Spirit can give us uh, a vision of things that, that far surpasses uh, anything the human learning, even inspired by grace, even inspired by faith, you know, the best the theology and philosophy, um, certainly the, the Holy Spirit can surpass that by, by leaps and bounds. And in Thomas's case, in fact, uh, about six months before he died, he had a vision um, while celebrating Mass of, of, you know, what awaited him in fullness, and uh, he didn't write another word. He hmm. stopped writing. He said, he, basically, he said, all that I've written is like straw. Like wow, that's pretty good straw, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're not gonna burn that straw. We're gonna keep it. Um, but uh, certainly, the Holy Spirit. I think it's a both and, though. You know, um, in life, we should certainly be praying for the gift of wisdom to see things, to see anything and everything the way God sees them. Um, but at the same time, to do our our to to use the mind and the intellect that He gave us, and our memories, our imaginations, and and to study, to learn things especially to learn about our faith and how it is uh, so 
so suited, so perfectly suited to the condition of the human person. And I would almost want to say, especially when it seems to be most contradictory. Mm-hmm. So in this day and age, when we seem to have a culture that is so far removed from really the reality of the faith in so many ways, you know, on so many fronts, um, the faith is the perfect, perfect antidote. It's exactly what this culture needs. It needs Christ. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Straight Talk on Real Presence Live. It's our segment where you have a chance to call in with your questions on topics of the faith, things happening in the world around us. And our guest this morning is Monsignor Gregory Schleselman, and he's a fountain of knowledge. If you've been listening to, he's very humble too, as Steve was saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just rolled his eyes at that. Uh, <laughs> if you just happen to be tuning in, uh, we've been having a discussion about uh, St. Francis of Assisi. We do have another question here this morning. It's from uh, Becky in Sioux Falls, Monsignor. She would like to know, um, she says, my eight-year-old is reading the Bible from the beginning, and I would like to be able to explain why people living 400 years why people were living to 400 years old. Uh, for instance, Noah. She wants to make sure that she can answer his question correctly. Great question. Well, I, ha- I feel bad for Noah if he had to live 400 years. <laughs> Poor dude. Yeah. It's like, when can I go home, Lord? So, um, what's important in the Old Testament, especially the earlier sections such as, as Genesis, uh, to recognize that they were written in a way to convey the truth's necessary for salvation. So, so remember, the Holy Spirit is the prime author of Scripture. So that means that whatever he inspired the human author to write was intended to enable those who would hear it or read it to be able to have what they need in order to approach salvation. So metaphor and poetry and history, and you can go down the list of all the different ways in which parts of Scripture are written, uh, those have to be taken into account. So sometimes, you know, you might say metaphorically that somebody lived to 400 years old when you're, what you're really saying is that they're very old. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the efforts that uh, the church needs to be constantly exercising, that those who study Scripture need to also do, is to, to be attentive to those, those historical and literary qualities of the text so as to be able to understand what did the author intend to say. And that's really the, that's what the Second Vatican Council said. We need to interpret scripture according to the intention of the, the author. So, so what did this ancient author want to say? What were they trying to say? Were they trying to say something literal? You know, the, the question, for example, about the seven days of, of creation oftentimes comes up. You know, is that 24 hour, you know, seven days of seven periods of 24 hours or so it's, it's really good to recognize that um, those different, what they're called genre, literary genres or ways of, of describing or um, writing literature, or in this case, biblical literature, um, can help to, to guide that. And I think that the, th- the key thing is with children is to, um, to familiarize them with, with this richness without necessarily needing to answer every question to say, well, okay, we're... we're we understand it to a degree, but there's nothing wrong with for a parent to say, um, we're still growing in our understanding of what all this might mean. And using good Catholic commentaries uh, can really help as well. Yeah. 
All right, if this is a straight talk on Real Presence Live, if you want to call in with your question at 877-795-0122, we have Monsignor Gregory Schlesselman this morning. Um, and Monsignor, you are currently stationed at the Newman Center here in Fargo. Yes. You're also in charge of the diaconate for the Diocese of Fargo, right? That's correct, yes. Right. So that's Monsignor's positions here at the diocese, um, also a great spiritual director for many people. Um, so call in at 877-795-0122. Looks like we got a couple more questions here. Should we go to the phone? or? Yeah, let's go to the phone. We've got Francesca from Holly on the line this morning, Monsignor. Good morning, Francesca. Good morning. How are you today? Good. Good. What's your question for Monsignor? My question is, when we pray to God, why do, when we um, ask for intentions, why do we have to ask them since God already knows, knows them? That's a great question, Francesca. Well, the reason is is obvious, as you say, it's not that he doesn't already know, but what he wants us to do is to bring him what we desire. To tell him, because when we tell God what we want, what we're doing is we're depending on him, and we are opening up our heart to what he wants for us. And so it's about what we need to do. We need to bring what we want, what we're thinking about, what we're feeling. Um, we, need, we need to bring all of that to him because that shows an openness to his life and to all that he wants to help us with and to, and to give us as a blessing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Thanks for your call, Francesca. And you can get your call answered, your question answered today, too, by calling 877-795-0122. Or you can also join us on Facebook. And I do believe we have a, another question here um, from Judy in Fargo. She said she would like, Monsignor, if you could explain the First Friday devotions. Yes, the First Friday devotions. Well, the First Friday devotion is, is about um, the, the devotion to the Sacred Heart. Uh, which has a long history, actually, in the life of the church. Um, but most recently, <laughs> talking in ecclesial terms, um, in the 17th century when uh, the Sacred Heart of Jesus appeared to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, um, a French nun who received um, various visions and, and, you might say, words, if you will, that the Lord gave to her, uh, asking that we would, in the church, and this, would, this eventually happened, um, that we would establish a feast uh, honoring the Sacred Heart, as well as encourage a devotion to the mystery of the love of God, the divine love that burns within the heart of the Trinity, that once the Incarnation took place now and since that moment and for all eternity, will burn in the human heart of Christ. And... What Jesus wanted was for, for us to focus upon the mystery of that love. In other words, to be drawn into how great is the love that God has for us, in spite of all that so oftentimes in human life seems to contradict that. Seems to say, no, I'm not loved, or I'm not lovable, or God couldn't love me, or he couldn't forgive me. And what Jesus wanted to do was to counter that, because it's not true, and to help give us something concrete and visible and I almost want to say palpable to enable us 
to be reminded of that and to be able to receive it and believe it more, more firmly. And so the practice of the First Friday devotions is to remind us of that. Is to, I mean, that's why we have these kinds of devotions in the church, is they're concrete, specific, time, you know, rooted in time, uh, kinds of practices that help us be reminded of these eternal truths, that, uh, and, but in a concrete way. And so by, by practicing that, the Lord obviously wants to benefit us and help others to be benefited by that same by that same reality because it's an important truth it is the central truth and uh, as popes have said since it's the most important devotion really um, of all devotions it's the most important devotion in the life of the church Judy thanks so much for that question call in with your question at 877-795-0122 877-795-0122 or you can submit your question on Facebook as this person just did Monsignor says we were blessed to have relics from Padre Pio visit us here in Sioux Falls I'm bummed that I wasn't able to go see them my co-workers know that I am Catholic and asked me about them and thought that relics were really weird can you explain why they are special and how their blessings work? Can you also explain how holy people become saints by us praying in their name for miracles? Why should we pray to them and not to God? And does it rely on us for them to become saints? Well, I'll tackle the uh, the first one first about the holiness. Um, <clears throat> it's holiness is uh, is not a question of being able to produce miracles. Holiness, as St. John Paul II said, uh, is intimacy with God. And so a saint becomes a saint by virtue of the holiness of their life, by their heroic virtue, uh, by their, um, their clear witness to the goodness of, of the gospel, and their ability to inspire others uh, to, to that same pathway of holiness. The whole idea of, of the process of canonization that requires miracles is because it, it gives us the assurance that they are, in fact, in heaven. So, a, a canonization is an infallible statement by the Holy Father stating that this particular person, so we'll take St. Francis of Assisi, since mm-hmm. it's his feast today, yep. that St. Francis is, in fact, definitively already in the beatific vision. And the miracle is, is a sign that the Church has always used as an indicator of that. It's not the cause— but rather simply a sign. Uh, it's like it tells us, okay, yes, that saint is really, in fact, in heaven, and therefore we can publicly and uh, liturgically honor them and venerate them in the life of the church and the life of the liturgy. So um, <clears throat> we, don't, we don't help them become saints. They became saints in their lifetime here. We become saints only in this lifetime. We don't become a saint, as it were, uh, because now is the time of choice. Now is the time where we, we exercise faith, hope, and charity. Um, but there we are recognizing what has already happened when the church canonizes this person uh, w- through those miracles. With, when it comes then to relics, though, so say St. Francis, he's been, um, he's been canonized. Or in your, in your question, you mentioned Padre Pio, so his relics. So something of her, uh, I'm not sure what exactly the relics, those particular relics were, whether they were first or second class or third class, but there's different ways of, you know, a portion maybe of, of a person's hair. I know St. John Paul II, his barber saved all his hair, unbeknownst <laughs> to the Pope, uh, all those years. And then after the Pope had died, he had all these first class relics of the Pope's hair. Um, but anyway, uh, the idea is that it's a visible reminder of 
the saints. So the whole idea is we're real. What we're venerating is the saint. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not venerating a piece of cloth per se. Uh, it's a, again, it's a sign. It's a. It's something. It's like an icon. We look at an icon of the Blessed Virgin Mary holding the child Jesus. And we're not venerating the piece of wood with the paint on it, etc. What we're venerating is Mary and, yeah. and the child Jesus. And so it's the same idea. Um, our faith is an incarnational faith. We need reminders. And relics serve as a reminder of the, the holiness of this person's life. Therefore, you know, what we can imitate uh, in their life. Um, how we can go to them uh, as, as an intercessor. Our saints... You know, saints are the best friends one could ever have. We should all have friends who are saints in heaven because they only want the best for us and they, they have great capacity to intercede for us. And so uh, it's, um, it's that kind of thing of a reminder of, of the life of the saint. I hope that answers your question for the person who submitted that comment on Facebook. We have about, oh, four minutes or so to go for Straight Talk, so you can still get your question in at 877-795-0122 or submit it on Facebook like this last person did. Uh, while we're waiting for a question to come in here, Monsignor, I have a quick question. I, I'm, I'm going through the book of Judges right now in Scripture, and... Uh, so the book of Judges comes after Joshua, where the Israelites basically just smote everybody in the promised land. Now they've had some rest. And it says that Joshua lived to be about 110 years, and then those who outlived Joshua also were committed to the faith. But then it says in Judges that a generation rose up after these people who did not know the Lord. Can you just speak to the importance of handing down the faith to our children so they know his goodness and what he does for us in our lives? Yes, uh, it's, it's an exceptionally important um, part of living a Catholic faith. I think a lot of people don't realize, and for a number of reasons that are understandable but not uh, acceptable, um, that the assumption was made, and and and. Quite honestly, maybe families were even told this. The assumption was made that the parish, the Catholic school, uh, CCD, etc., those would be the ways, the principal ways in which the faith would be handed on to children. And that was a, that was a, a huge mistake because the reality is the church makes it clear that the primary educators of children in the manner in the manner of faith are the parents and everybody else. Everybody else um, are there to assist them, and so it's really important. And, and an integral part of living a Catholic faith, that one also seek to hand it on. Whether one is married and have you know children, that would be the primary recipients of that. Mm-hmm. But others as well. It's part it, it, being a being a missionary disciple. You know, yeah. we've heard we've heard that term. You know, more recently. <laughs> you know, I think in a wonderful way, being a missionary disciple is precisely the full package. To be a disciple of Christ means to be missionary, and being missionary means to hand on the faith to others, so that they too could come into the promised land to use the analogy that, that, you know, so that they would be able to benefit from the covenant of the, with the Lord and, and to not understand that, to not recognize that that's our duty, that they having received this enormous gift, we need to do what we can to hand it on to others um, is to be ultimately ungrateful. And so we really need to, to strive to, to correspond to that invitation of Jesus. 
And we do have one minute here before we go to break, but there's uh, one last question here, Monsignor. Catherine from Sioux Falls wants to know, when a faithful spouse receives sacramental grace by going to Mass, doing a charitable work, does their spouse receive the same grace by virtue of their sacramental marriage? That's a great question. I would say yes, in the sense that if you intend for your spouse to receive the grace that you individually are receiving by going to Mass, doing something charitable, uh, that because of the—I mean, what do we say at the, at the marriage? We say that the two become one. So that, that's not just simply um, something of the order uh, of that, that's on the physical or emotional level, but it's also on the spiritual level. So there's something very beautiful about the capacity to receive and hand on grace, uh, be it— be, uh, a, a reservoir of grace for your spouse where you both can share within the gift that God has given. Well, Monsignor, thanks so much for being on with us for this Straight Talk segment.